Second Timothy chapter four, uh, starting in verse one, I'm going to read through a few verses and then we'll dive in. Paul, of course, writing to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, I do want to share from this passage this morning... I do not want this to come across as a a sermon where it just seems like, oh, well, our pastor got worked up about something or our pastor has something on his mind and he kind of used the pulpit as a way to kind of throw that on us or or to unload or to he's got a chip on his shoulder about something. I want this to come across in a way that you understand that, yes, your pastor has a burden about something, but this should be a burden that each and every believer carries and has a conviction that every believer has and possesses. And it's very, very simple uh, to, to, in this case, preach the word, but for the believers to know the word, to believe the word. And it all for us as believers, our rule of faith and obedience is the word. And so as we were away this past week, yes, I had time to just sit and pray uh, and contemplate and, and, and think on some things. I also had time to listen to some sermons, to think about sermons that I've heard over the past couple of weeks. And those sermons, uh, you, could, uh, you could picture Clint Eastwood in your head because some were good, some were bad, and some were ugly. So... As I was considering those sermons, there was the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I also thought about the state, the condition of modern Christianity, American Christianity. And and I jotted down a few things. I'm not going to be diving into all of this. This is just setting the stage for why. If If you ever wonder, you know, why... Why does Caleb have such a strong conviction to preach the Word? And and why does everything connect back to Scripture? Scripture alone. Why does it all go back to the Word? Why does he have that conviction? Should I have that conviction? Why does any of this matter? What's the big deal? Um, If you've ever wondered any of that, I hope that this sermon today will will kind of bring clarity to that. And again, I, I hope that this sermon... It's presented in such a way that if you do not have that conviction already, that God would grant you that conviction and that we would be united in the fight together to preach the word, share the word, proclaim the word to those around us. But consider this, Presbyterianism is split. 
Now, we've got ways that we identify that. We say like, oh, there's a liberal branch of Presbyterianism and there's a conservative branch of Presbyterianism. But they're split. The Methodists are splitting now. There's a break in Methodism. And we would say the same, oh, there's a liberal branch and there's a conservative branch. Within Baptist, the Baptist denomination... Which, within the Baptist denomination, there's already missionary Baptists, free will Baptists, Southern Baptists, you know, independent Baptists. There's already those types of splits, but within, within the Southern Baptists, the umbrella of, of Southern Baptists, there's, you got churches going different directions. And again, you could say, well, there's liberal and there's conservative. Within the non-denominational churches, the churches who they have no allegiance to any denominational grouping. For the most part, there are some denominational churches that are grounded and rooted in the faith and rooted in the Scripture. But a lot of times, your non-denominational churches are the ones who, who typically seem to be more focused on getting the big crowd, entertaining people, and so on and so forth. And so you see a level of worldliness there. Within the Episcopalian branch... Of Christendom, you see a lot of secularism and a lot of worldliness. And so, just with those few examples there, you see great division, you see great confusion. But we're not talking about people who don't claim to be Christian, that they have no religious affiliation. We're talking about people who, if you were to meet them on the street and say, do you consider yourself a Christian? They would say, yes. Division, confusion, and in some cases, just chaos. Now, what could possibly, what could possibly resolve these splits, these Debates, these disagreements, these this confusion, what could resolve all of this? The word. God has spoken. And he has given us his word. And where God has spoken, it's not up for it's not up to us to debate it, think about it, see how we feel about it. Where God has spoken. We simply say, God has spoken, and we need to obey it. We need to submit to that. Now, if you're a a deep thinker or a critical thinker, you say, right, Caleb, that sounds easy on the surface, but there is more more that goes into it than that. Because if it was just the Word, all of these people, when they go to church, they're hearing a preacher of some sort open up the Bible and talk about the Bible and talk about God. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There has to be a consistent going back to the Word to see what God has spoken. And whatever that preacher or teacher is saying, it is up to the rest of the crowd to say, okay, well, is that really what that passage means? Is that consistent with the rest of Scripture? And so it wouldn't just be the Word going out. It has to be the Word revered. We have to start there. There There's so many people who call themselves Christians that in today's world, they wouldn't say that the Scriptures are inerrant. Or infallible. They say well the scriptures are good. 
The Scripture gives us a lot of principles to live by. There's a lot of good stuff in the Scripture, but there are errors. And there is um, contradictions in the Scriptures. Therefore, the Scriptures are not perfect. The Scriptures are not actually God-breathed. So that's a big problem there. Because here's the thing. If we're, if we're talking to people who don't actually revere the Scripture as the Word of God, you don't even really have a starting point. So it starts with the Word of God revered. When we open this up at home, when we read from this, when we hear, when we hear somebody, when you hear me op- open from this, read from it, and preach from it, do you say, Caleb is preaching from the Word of God? Is there a, a reverence and a recognition that the Bible is not just some holy book that is in the same category of the Quran or the Book of Mormon? That it is the very God-breathed Word. The Word proclaimed. Not Not the word hypothesized. There's a lot of people today call themselves teachers, preachers. They'll read from the word and they'll say, I feel like what this means for us is. Or I think we should be thinking about this because when I read this, it makes me think about this. So maybe this maybe this thought will help you too. And it's hypothesizing like it could mean this. It might mean this. Here's a good thought. We need the word to be proclaimed. In the Old Testament. When a prophet had the word, a word from God to deliver to the people, he didn't go to the people and say, I feel like God's trying to tell us. He said, thus saith the Lord. That's KJV. Modern day. The Lord says, period. Not, I feel like, or maybe we need the word to be proclaimed. And talk clearly. And then, yes, the word ought to be obeyed. Again, there are, now listen, everybody knows this. There are some passages of scripture that you say, okay, well, you could go one or two or maybe even three ways with that. But here's what you do on those passages of scripture you don't say, well, that's difficult. So let's just not worry about those and focus on the ones that we do get. No, you wrestle with those scriptures. You search those scriptures so that we can know what those passages of scripture mean. You grow in the faith. You grow in your knowledge and understanding of the word. But what would solve all of this, the splits, confusion, chaos, division, debate, stuff like that? It really is the word. Now, here's what comes as a result of that. Those that truly have ears to hear, those that truly have eyes to see, by the grace of God, they will see the Word, hear the Word, believe the Word, and they'll rightly understand it, they'll rightly believe it, and they'll be firm in their faith. Then, as the Word is proclaimed, as the Word is is supported, as the Word is put out there, and then different people say, well, I don't see it that way. Well, I disagree with that. Well, I don't think that that's what God is saying. But the Scripture is clear. Then we will have greater clarity of who really believes and who doesn't. Of who truly is following the Lord and who's playing games. 
And at that moment, their church discipline is a thing. I'm not, for wherever the churches are, it's up to the, that leadership to say, well, we need to exercise some church discipline here. But there needs to be some purification. There needs to be some sanctification among the body of Christ that comes along with returning to the word and going to the word to see what God has spoken. The confusion, the division is not new. Even in biblical times, there was confusion, there was division, there was false teachers. And the remedy, the solution to all of these problems, to all of this confusion, it's not new either. It's the same solution and the same remedy that has always been there. The Word. So while we were going, I can say this. I was brought firmly back to a simple and straightforward conviction that to my shame, this conviction has ebbed and flowed to an extent. Sometimes I really feel that strong conviction and I'm I'm zealous or to use a modern day term that I'm not a huge fan. Of, I'm I'm on fire for the Lord with this conviction. And then sometimes it's just kind of like, okay, well, I feel tired. I'm, I'm kind of worn down or whatever else. But while we're gone... That sense of urgency was there. But it's simply this. You say, well, what is that conviction? Believe the Word. Know the Word. Preach the Word. Now that's a, and, I, and I did it that way because I don't want anybody to say, well, oh yeah, well, in 2 Timothy it says preach the Word. I'm not a preacher. So this isn't directly for me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. If you call yourself a Christian, then you have a responsibility to believe the Word. Know the word. And if you want to change the word from preach to proclaim, you can do that. Because you say, I'm not a preacher. Okay, well then you need to proclaim the word. Wherever you're at. Under your own roof with your family. At work. Out and about. During your free time. During your rec time. We need to believe we need to know the truth. We need to proclaim truth. And each and every one of us ought to have that conviction. And again, I do want to present this in such a way. I don't want this to come across. Oh, well, that's Caleb. He has that conviction. He's a pastor. He should have that conviction. I hope that by the time we're done today, that each and every one of us is at least somewhat on the same page. And that we all share this conviction. Because listen... I've been here long enough that I've heard every single one of y'all just about say, well, you know, something along the lines of, I can't believe how the, where the world is today. I can't believe how we got to where we got here today. There's a lot wrong with the world today. There's a lot of evil in the world today. I can't believe that people can't figure out what gender they are today. I can't believe people can't figure out what marriage is today. I can't believe that it, the solution To secularism. To the confusion and the chaos. And the insanity that we see in the world today. The remedy. Is to preach the word. Proclaim truth. Wherever we go. That's the remedy. And so each and every one of us. The confusion that we see in the church. Within the church. 
The solution is to preach the word. Proclaim truth. Now when we do that, you can rest assured, we will be swimming upstream, as it were. And so at this point, before we dive really dive into the text, I do want to ask you to consider this. This is not a challenge. Please don't take this the wrong way. This isn't your preacher coming at you, to use a modern term. This isn't your preacher trying to attack you. I'm asking you sincerely and humbly, consider this. Do you desire the Word? When you come to church, do you come to church to worship with the brothers and sisters in Christ and to feed from the Word? Where Whenever you listen to a sermon, whether that's on television, whether that's on the radio, do you hunger and you say, I want the Word. I don't want somebody's opinion. I don't want somebody's thoughts. I don't want any manly, worldly wisdom. I want the Word. Is that what you hunger and thirst for? Is that what you desire? Do you desire Christ? Again, why do you come to church? Do you come to church to to worship and to rejoice in Christ our Savior? Or do we come to church and do Christian things because that's how we were raised. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what a good Christian does. Or do we have a desire to truly see Christ lifted up and praised and honored because He is Lord? Do we desire to see God glorified in all things? And I'm just asking you to consider that. Because I can tell you, even as a Christian among other Christians, if God grants that conviction to say, hey, Scripture alone is sufficient. Scripture alone is our only rule of faith and obedience. We need to stick to the Scriptures. And if something is not in Scripture, we ought not practice it. If God grants that conviction, you will be swimming upstream. You will be fighting against the current. And you'll also be fighting against all the all the other fish and uh, uh, aquamarine life. That's going downstream. And it can feel difficult. It can feel tiresome. So with all of these thoughts in mind. Yes that was just the groundwork. You've got an hour and a half left. Just just kidding. <laughs> with that foundation. Please. Consider what Paul tells Timothy. Now Timothy is. A young man, a minister, and Paul says, I charge you, now that would be enough right there, Paul is an apostle, truly an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about the, the phony apostles of today, there, listen, there are no modern day apostles or anything like that, the apostleship, the true apostleship ended with the biblical <laughs> apostles, a true apostle of God telling somebody, I charge you, that's enough right there. But Paul doesn't in there. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Now, this is serious. 
Paul telling a young minister, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So Timothy says, well, he's, he's charging me in the presence of God, my creator, and of Christ, my savior, my Lord. And as if I needed a reminder, Paul, Paul just said, who is to judge the living and the dead? Timothy, Caleb, all ministers, all preachers, we, we know that we serve, we are under shepherds of the true shepherd who is the one who will judge the living and the dead. That ought to sober Timothy up. It ought to sober me up. Every time that I consider that. I believe it's in the book of James where we're told that teachers are held to a stricter judgment. That's biblical. He also charges him by his appearing in his kingdom. And so resting on that confidence that he is to judge the living and the dead. And he is returning, Timothy. You know that he's returning. You know that he is coming back. So what is this charge? What is this charge that, that Paul has said in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and of His appearing and His kingdom? You say, man, this is, this is huge. What is Paul about to tell Timothy to do? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Those people around you, Timothy... Those people that need salvation. Those Christians who are being led astray by false doctrine. Those people who may be uninterested in hearing about the Lord. Those people who may be indifferent and they say, we don't care what you have to say, Timothy. We know you're a preacher uh, of Jesus Christ, but we don't care what you have to say. Paul doesn't say, do whatever it takes to get their attention. Paul doesn't say, Change your methods and your strategies to get as many of them to listen as you can. Paul certainly doesn't say, give them what they want. He says, Timothy, preach. And the content of your preaching needs to simply be this. The Word. Preach the word. And then he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. After saying, be ready in season and out of season. You may think, when is a, when is a minister, and I'm going to change that to Christian in a moment, but when is a minister, when is a pastor, when is a missionary, when are they ever off duty? Like, when can they ever say, okay, well now I don't have to be concerned with like focusing on the Word and focusing on truth and, and preaching it. There is no off time. There is no off time. You say, whew, praise God I'm not a preacher because sometimes I like to get home and just not think about anything and not have to worry about nothing. When is a Christian off the clock? When it comes to Walking in the truth, knowing the truth, sharing truth, being obedient to the truth. When is a Christian ever off the clock? You're not. 
at what point of the day do temptations to sin stop coming? They don't. At what point of the day does God say, okay, you've thought about me for this much of the day. From now on, until you fall asleep, you don't really have to think about me anymore. You did your, you did your job today. Be ready in season and out of season. Each and every one of us, we have probably lived long enough, except for the little ones up here. But each and every one of us in church today has probably lived long enough that we have gotten a phone call that we didn't expect to get, right? Now, whether that be somebody had passed away or there was a car accident or something like that. But just using that as an example. In those moments, a lot of times we we find ourselves saying, I don't don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. Many of us have probably lived long enough that that a a temptation arose or something happens and and we we find ourselves saying, I I know I don't need to be thinking like this or I know I shouldn't have just said what I just said, but I, I, I don't know what happened. It just happened so fast. We are told from Scripture to be on guard, as it were, to be ready. The devil roams around as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're to be sober. Our minds should not be clouded up with the things of the world, with the, with the things that, that, that just pertain to us in an earthly material way. We're to be sober-minded, to think clearly. We're to be instant, in season, out of season. But then he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now, reprove carries with it the idea of of convincing or or teaching. Rebuke carries with it to chide or to to even even to to censure, like to hold back. Um, And then exhort is simply to, to encourage strongly or to come alongside of. So reprove, convince, or correct, rebuke, chide, or, or, or censure to rein in, to put limitations on, and exhort. A lot of times in today's world, we, we see a whole lot of exhortation. We want to encourage you. We want to come alongside of you. We don't see a lot of reproving, correcting, rebuking, and stuff like that. But listen, Paul says, this is what it is. You preach the word. Here's what that's going to include. Reproof, rebuke, exhort. And do this, Timothy, with complete patience and teaching. Why does it take patience? Those of you who are parents, consider when you are raising your children. Did your children learn the lesson you were trying to teach them the first time you taught it to them? Some of y'all are looking at me, but at least give me a head nod. How many of y'all have perfect children? you got to be kidding me right now, right? Did they learn it the first time? I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably didn't learn it the second time. How many of you actually had to spank or paddle or pop your kid for something that you had already previously had to spank them for? Anybody? Was there ever a point in your life where you just said, as they were young, and I, let's say they were, they were five or six years old, and you say, I'm giving up. They can do whatever they want to do. I'm, I'm tired of trying to teach them. And you, and you literally just 
stop disciplining your child or stop trying to teach your child. You said, you know what? I'm going to let them do their own thing. You would have to hate your child to do that. And you would also have to be one of the most selfish human beings in existence to do that. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be told that, hey, you're wrong. And this is the right way or this is the right truth. And it's no different when it comes to the faith. It's no different when it comes to truth, even in general. But listen, being a Christian, in this case, specifically talking to Timothy, being a minister of the gospel, it takes patience. And believe me, if you, if you don't have it, God will test it. And God will find ways to grant a greater patience because He is faithful and He is patient and He is long-suffering. But I can, I've been in ministry for, I don't know, I don't even know now, nine years I think, eight or nine years. But I can t- I'm not about to sit here and say, oh, I've seen people. Let's talk about me. Guys, I grew up in church. And when God started to reveal to me through His Word areas that I was thinking wrongly, and things that didn't jive with Scripture. I didn't like it. It wasn't enjoyable. But praise God that He is patient and long-suffering and kind. And yes, in ministry I have seen that when, when people are presented with the truth. If that truth conflicts with something that they've held near and dear to their heart for years. They don't just say, oh, well, yeah, that's right. This is wrong. I'm just going to let that go. No, we naturally, we try to hold on to those things that we keep near and dear. We don't like it. So if a minister, a Christian is not patient, we say, we say things like this. Well, they're old enough. They get it. They, they should know better and they need to fix it. I'm, I'm done dealing with them. <laughs> they know better than that. Or at least they ought to know better. Or, I've preached on that two or three or four times. I, sh- I shouldn't have to preach on that again. I shouldn't have to bring up anything like that again. But, he's, Paul says, listen Timothy, you're going to have to be patient. And you're going to have to teach. You're going to have to teach. Patience doesn't just mean putting up with. Let's go back to using our, our kids as examples again. It gets to the point where you just want to correct your child. You just want to correct it and say, now listen, do better. Or, or act right. But it's totally different to pop or spank your child or to correct your child over something you've done a thousand times. And then, and then take the time to say, do you understand why this is wrong? Are you learning? Have you understood Are you grasping these concepts? Son, daughter, do you understand? Do you comprehend? And it takes that as a minister, as a Christian in general. I know that all of us, we've got unsaved family members, lost loved ones, and by your own admission, you've shared the gospel with these people and some, some, they still don't get it or they still don't want to believe it. Patience and teach. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching. For the time is coming. 
And it, I, I would say is now here. But this was even in biblical times. Paul is already warning Timothy. The time is coming. They will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This was the biggest thing that I would say, you could say, it weighed on my heart. Or it burdened me. Or this was my biggest topic of prayer while I was gone. Was the the amount of deception and the believing of myths within the church. But if you say, why was Paul so adamant for Timothy to preach the word? Why was that the aim and the, the focus of Paul's charge? Why did he say preach the word? If Paul knew all of the problems that were going on in this area and in all the areas that Paul had, had already been to. If Paul knew all of the problems, why was this his solution? Paul was a smart man. He could have come up with some kind of strategy to overtake these problems. He could have come up with some kind of scheme to fight back. Why was his solution to preach the word? Because Paul had a firm conviction that God is God. We talked about that here. But God is God. God is truth. And the only way to rightly live, the only way to rightly uh, thrive as a human being, uh, in a community, in a civilization, is to actually acknowledge that God is God. He makes the rules. He is truth. We need to submit to His truth. And the only way of salvation is acknowledging that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And submitting to His, His authority as Lord and Savior. So Paul says, listen, the time's coming when people won't endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So what does Timothy do when that happens? Does he change his plan of attack and do something? No, he continues to preach the word. But here's what the problem looks like. People will not endure sound doctrine. Now, I looked up the Greek definition on this word. You're going to, it's real complicated. Hang with me now. This gets real deep. When Paul says they won't endure sound doctrine, it literally means they won't put up with it. So we can all understand that, right? They will not put up with it. They will not accept it. They won't be... I, I, did, I did like this uh, translation of it. Or this um, definition of it. One of the, one of the Greek um, dictionaries said this. They won't be patient with it. Now that's interesting. They won't be patient with it. So... In some cases, they might listen to it for a little while. But they're not going to endure with it. They're not going to be patient with it. They might say, oh, this is new. I enjoy hearing this. I enjoy hearing new takes. I enjoy hearing a new spin on things. And they might be entertained with it for a season. But they won't be patient with it. And because they won't be patient with it, they're going to get to the point they're not going to put up with it anymore. Here's what people who aren't interested in hearing the truth and the word do when they have somebody who is giving them the word, who is teaching them the truth. Here's their solution. They'll accumulate or they'll heap unto themselves teachers that suit their own passions. They'll say, 
Hey, wait a minute. We don't have to listen to this guy. We can get somebody else. Or we can go listen to somebody else. This guy isn't telling us what we want to hear. This guy isn't telling us what suits our own passions. But we don't have to put up with this. We don't have to endure this. We don't have to tolerate it. We can, we can get somebody that will tell us what we want to hear. We'll get somebody that does uh, teach according to our own passions. And here's the thing. It doesn't really seem like they're going to have much problem finding the teachers that suit their own passions. Because it says they'll accumulate them. Or in some translations, they will heap unto themselves. Teachers to suit their own passions. There's no shortage of false teachers. To put it a little bit more bluntly, in some cases, there's no, there's no shortage of people who think that preaching is just another means of a paycheck. If a pastor is in the ministry for a paycheck, here is a surefire way to make sure that you and your family always have a paycheck in ministry. And I know this. If I wanted to be here at Mindy's Baptist and make sure that y'all always gave me a paycheck and me and my family didn't have to worry about moving again and me and my family didn't have to worry about relocating or finding another church or whatever else, there's a very easy way to make that happen. Get to know each one of you really well. Get to know what you like and what you don't like. And eventually, the more I get to know you, I'm going to get to know, well, they like these passages of Scripture. They don't like these passages of Scripture. They like these truths of the Bible, but they don't like these truths of the Bible. So if I want to make sure that I stay here and keep that paycheck coming to my family, I'm going to preach the stuff you do like, and I'm not going to preach stuff you don't like. And hey, whenever somebody invites me fishing, I'm there. Whenever somebody wants to have a fish fry, yeah, let's have a fish fry. Y'all like fish fries? I like fish fries too. Whenever somebody wants to do something, hey, yeah, let's do that. Never tell y'all no about anything. There's never a bad idea. Never a, never a bad thought. I just love you guys so much. You'll keep me here. It's human nature. We like him. Why do you like him so much? I don't know. We just seem to get along. Ain't no reason to get rid of him. Guys, listen. I'm not, I'm not trying to be fine. I know some of you are smiling. I get it. But it's easy. If you are in ministry for a paycheck, it's kind of easy. You just learn the people. You say, I'm just going to stay. I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay because my family needs that paycheck and they don't mind giving me a paycheck. People don't have a hard time finding people to preach according to their own passions because they want to hear what they want to hear and some preachers just want to get paid. Well, that's like two peas in a pod. So does Paul tell Timothy, when that happens, do whatever it takes to get their attention back. No. You preach the Word. You preach the Word. But they're not going to endure sound doctrine, Timothy. Well, wait a minute. Paul, that doesn't make sense. You're telling me they're not going to want to hear the truth. They're not going to put up with the truth. They're not going to endure, endure the truth. But you want me to keep preaching the truth? Yeah. That doesn't sound like a very fruitful ministry 
if you will. You say, well, go out and build your ministry on preaching the truth and preaching the word. Knowing full well that there's going to be lots of people that don't want the word, that don't want the truth, and they don't they won't endure the sound teaching. That doesn't sound like a pathway to success. That doesn't sound like a like a good plan of action. That sounds like you're destined to fail. Hey, go out and preach this message that lots of people aren't going to want to hear. Here's the only way that makes sense. If God is true. The very message, the very gospel that saves, the very word that saves is the word that the vast majority of people don't want to hear. Not only do they not want to hear it, they're opposed to it. They hate it. And so it does seem like a, almost like a suicide mission, if you will. You're going to go out here with this gospel, with this truth that nobody wants to hear, and it's going to be successful? Yes, because God is God. And God is the one who gives new hearts to sinful man. God is the one who's, who opens up the blinded eyes and opens up the deaf ears. And the same people who once hated the gospel, who once hated Christ, the very people who said they would never bow the knee, are the very ones that He draws to salvation and mercy and in grace. And they will be saved. But know this, Timothy, the time is coming. They're not going to, they're not going to endure it. And they will heap unto themselves false teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here's what I want you all to understand with that one. This one's very simple. If you and I turn away from truth, there's only one other option. You cannot turn away from truth and find another truth. That's very important. Because we live in a world today that will say, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and we're all good. There's one truth. If we turn aside from truth, we have wandered off into myths. Myths don't save. Myths don't lead people to the true Christ. Myths don't lead people to the true gospel. Myths lead people astray. How important is it to know the truth, believe the truth, and proclaim the truth? If any of us turn away from the truth, you can rest assured, whichever direction you turned away from truth, you've wandered off into myths and false doctrines. So Timothy, as for you, verse 5 now, always be sober-minded. Go back to the first few verses of this chapter when I said that. That should have sobered Timothy up. Listen, I'll admit it's tempting. There are times when it is tempting. Say, well, if I preach this or if I preach this way, more people would listen. We could probably get more people to visit the church if we did this or if we put on an event or if I preached a different way or if I did. Sometimes the flesh is weak. Sometimes it's tempting to say, well, would it be that bad to get some more attention, to get more people listening? The answer is always yes. If the way that you get more people to listen is to sacrifice truth. It always is a bad idea. It is 100% a bad idea. 
Be sober-minded. What's one thing that could sober Timothy up? Oh, yeah, that's right. Paul charged me in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who judges the living and the dead, to preach the word. I should probably preach the word, no matter what. And I should also know that I'm saved by grace. And all of these people that aren't enduring sound doctrine, they're not enduring sound teaching, they're not listening to sound teaching. The only thing that will save them is the preaching of the word. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So the only thing that will save these people who hate God and don't want to hear sound teaching is putting sound teaching and putting the word out there so that they will hear it anyway. That's what God will use to raise the dead, to open blinded eyes, to open deaf ears, is the preaching of the word. Be sober minded, Timothy. Focus on God. Focus on the word. Endure suffering. Now listen. I know not all of you are preachers. I know that y'all have probably known many preachers. I don't know if other pastors have told you this. I don't know what you're under the impression of, but let me make clear. Being in ministry is not necessarily a walk in the park, as it were. It's not a pleasant stroll through the meadows. But here's the thing. Neither is being a Christian. Christians are called to suffer. That is, that is a doctrine from Scripture that a lot of people won't tolerate. Christians are called to suffer. Not spiritually. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. But on this earth, in this life, there will be suffering. And so Paul tells Timothy, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Namely, preach the word. Preach the word. To close out here, I'm going to I'm going to fire these off rapid fire. Because I really don't want to keep y'all here all day. Y'all know that I could stay here all day, but I'm not going to do that to you. They will accumulate unto themselves teachers that suit their passions. Sometimes what that looks like is teachers, leaders, pastors who are activity based. Now what that means is we want a pastor to come in here that always has a lot of plans for the church. Always has something going on. Always something exciting going on. Activity based. Really interested in being busy for the Lord. But not just interested in the word and interested in the Lord. Sometimes it's giving based. Now giving is a good thing. But some people want to say, we want to be a part of a church that just gives and gives generously. And gives to good, uh, to good charities and gives to good funds. There's a lot of people who are interested in giving and doing something, but they're not just interested in the Lord and knowing the Word. And then directly connected to that is charity based. There's a lot of church. I want to go to a church where we do, we feed the homeless. We have a soup kitchen. We have a food pantry. We give away clothes. I want to go to a church that is, that is high on charity. Well, that's fine. But it is possible to be very charitable, to be kind, to be giving, to be busy for the Lord. It is possible to be all of those things and still yet not love the Lord. 
And sometimes those are the very things that distract us from the fact that we are not satisfied just with Him and with the Word. It is one thing, it is one thing to be very passionate about feeling like a Christian. So all of those things that I just mentioned. Well, I go to church and I'm active in the church and I give and I, I, I help good causes and I do this and I do that. And people, a lot of people will be very passionate about feeling like a Christian. It's a, th- it's a totally separate thing entirely to be passionate about Christ and being a Christian. Think about all the other religions of the world. If you wanted to be a good Muslim, then you would learn the traditions and you would learn the practices of the Muslim. You would, you would pray at the certain times of day where you are supposed to pray and you would pray in the direction that you were meant to pray. You would do all of the good things that a Muslim was, a good Muslim is supposed to do. You would fast. You would keep all of the, the rules. You would make your trek. Your, uh, what do they call it? I just totally blanked on that. But you, you would make your pilgrimage that you're supposed to make at least once to Mecca. You would do that. Why? Because you were, you were seeking to be a good Muslim and seeking to please Allah. And people are really passionate about that, right? There are people that are passionate about being a Muslim. Does that make them saved? No. There are people who are really passionate about doing Christian things. There are people who are very passionate about feeling like a good Christian. And none of those efforts and none of those works actually mean that they're passionate about Christ. And about the Word. It can be very deceptive. How do we know right, but how do we know right from wrong? How do we know deception from the truth? Preach the Word. Teach the Word. Know the Word. Believe the Word. So he tells Timothy, preach the word. For the time is coming, they're not going to endure it. They're not going to listen to it. They will turn away from it. When that happens, be sober minded. Endure suffering. It is suffering for any believer to watch brothers, people that they consider to be brothers and sisters in Christ, people that they want to know the Lord and to love the Lord. It is It is a type of suffering to watch people turn aside from the truth and wander off into myths. It's another type of suffering entirely. That's more spiritual, emotional. But there was at this day and time, there was a physical suffering as well. Paul tells him to endure suffering when just earlier in chapter 3, he tells Timothy... My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So at this day and time, there was a physical suffering that happened as well. And Paul says, endure suffering. Don't let that distract you. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, I want to ask you to simply consider 
Do you desire, do you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? A hunger and a thirst for the Word, to feed from the Word, to grow and to mature. Do you, do you desire to know God as He has made Himself known? And God has made Himself known through the special revelation of His Word. The last thing I'll say, this, this is in 2 Timothy as well. Because I know a lot of times when preachers preach sermons like this, we can kind of we can kind of end on a down note where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I agree with the preacher. I mean, there's lots of people that don't want to hear the truth and it kind of all seems pretty bad and it's all it's all pretty negative. People don't want to hear the truth and if a preacher preaches the truth, they're not going to like him. And, and if, if me as a Christian, if I share the truth at work or if I share the gospel with people, I might get in trouble. I might lose my job. There might be something bad happening. And it can kind of have just this downward trend. Paul suffered a lot during his life. Jesus suffered during his life and ministry. Timothy was told to endure suffering. So I want to end the sermon by considering what's the point of it all. If you have to suffer in your life, if I have to suffer in my life, if we have this conviction to believe the Word, know the Word, and proclaim the Word, if we have that conviction to share truth with others, and it causes us to suffer, then what's the point? Why is that good? First and foremost... It's for God's glory. He has called us to it and it glorifies Him to be obedient. But I want you to consider lastly, I'm just going to read it, make one comment and we'll close in prayer. If you ever ask yourself, what's the point of suffering? Why is this good? How could it possibly good for me, be good for me to suffer? Consider what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul says, the reason I'm suffering is because I preach the gospel. Then he says this, but the word of God is not bound. Preach the word. Nobody can ever bind it. No one can ever stop it. Nobody can ever relinquish the word of its power. The word cannot be bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, first and foremost, the word can't be bound. God is glorified and God will do with his word as he sees fit. And then Paul says this, there will 100% chance there will be those who believe. And I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Paul says, I know that God's going to use his word to bring souls to salvation. It will happen. And if our suffering results in even one soul being brought from darkness into light, from one soul being brought into eternal life so that they no longer, they will not suffer eternal damnation and separation from God. If our suffering is what God uses to bring even one soul to salvation, then each and every one of us ought to say, it is well worth it for God's glory and for the sake of others. So thank you all for listening so well and intently. I beg of you to consider these things. Each and every one of us ought to believe the truth, believe the word, know the word, 
and proclaim the word. What is the solution to all of the chaos and confusion out there? It's the word. Bring people back to the word. Bring people to consider the word. Give the truth to others. Speak truth to others. May God be glorified and may souls be saved. Let's close in a word of prayer.